Hey, Will. Hey, John. Missed you last week. Uh, well, I missed you too. Where were you? Uh, you know, just doing some family stuff and... What's his name? Uh, what's whose name? Just, just tell me who it is, Will. Tell me who you're now doing a weekly review podcast with on Sunday mornings. Just, just tell me. Look, John, there's no need for this. We're both adults here. Right, right. Yeah, I get it. Just, uh, just tell me one thing, Will. Does he make you happy? John. No, no, please don't do that. I want to know. Because if, uh, if reviewing movies with somebody else makes you happier, that's just fine by me. It's nothing serious, John. It's just a fling, I promise. <sighs> okay, well, I don't know if I can get past this, Will. Because next year you're going to start telling me you're, you're doing spinoff podcasts with this person. And you're writing reviews with this person. And maybe even do something even more ridiculous, like start a YouTube channel with this guy. No. No, Will, please. John, I'm sorry. Do you need me to leave? Just, just tell me his name. For Christ's sake, Will, just tell me his name. Fine. I'll tell you. Promise you won't get upset? Yeah. Yeah, I promise. I, uh, I owe you that much. Okay. His name is John Negroni. You're... You're not lying, are you? I'm surprised, too, that there's someone out there with your exact name, but... Oh, God! John, calm down. You're scaring me again. I'm just joking with you. There's only one John Negroni in this crazy place we call an internet house. But Will, just hold on. Is is this your silly way of telling me we're starting a YouTube channel? <laughs> uh, John, never in a million years. Or at least a few months. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Negroni. I am the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer of Cinemaholics.com, and I occasionally write books. Will Ashton was out last week, as all of you know, but he's back. And you know what? You might not have remembered that he is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. Hey, Will Ashton. Hey, John. I'm glad to be back. You know, Will, I, I, you've been gone so long, you might have forgotten that you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. If you'd like to send us an email, our email address, as always, is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Look, we love our patrons. We have a Patreon, and you can support it directly and easily by going to patreon.com slash cinemaholics. We have a review-heavy week coming up um some really interesting smaller films nothing as big as last week will you missed our big review episode because we talked about some of the biggest films of the summer all dumped in one weekend and will was like you know what i can't i can't do it i'm not ready and uh that's all right will but we yeah, it was just the wrong weekend for hollywood to decide to finally right. drop like three of their biggest movies on one weekend um or at least three of the biggest ones are going to jump on streaming at least so um yeah i mean i was definitely bummed they couldn't talk about uh a few of them i still haven't seen the five bloods or the king of staten island but i did get a chance to see artemis fowl and uh i i, I can't say anything 
particularly positive about the film, but I think I had a little bit more fun in the debauchery of it than you guys might have. But um, yeah, I, I can certainly see why that film is getting nothing but uh, scorn from internet critics and otherwise. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, I wish you could have been there last week to sort of uh, inject some fun into our review because Charlie Ridgely, who graciously stepped in to fill in as co-host, yeah, yeah. he and I had a miserable time talking about that movie and it would have been fun, Will, for you to be there to lighten yeah. things up just a little bit, especially because, you know, we, we thought you died in that getaway van for a minute there, Will, but glad you're okay. Yeah, I'm like the Terminator. I just keep coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I'm looking forward to you seeing uh, Defy Blood's new Spike Lee movie because Charlie and I absolutely loved that film and we had uh, nothing, almost nothing, but nice things to say about it. So I'm very curious where you might land, see if you like it as much or uh, if you have a different take on it or what have you. So uh, definitely waiting for that. Real quick, I want to say we had uh, kind of a, you know, we were looking at like what movie will be our featured review and I was actually planning on seeing more films this week, but something slowed me down, Will. Something got in my way. Something uh, came out on Friday that uh, took over my uh, my movie habit. Do you know what that is? Uh, no. What was it? Well, well, it's your favorite thing in the world: video games. That's oh, right. The Last oh, of Us yeah. Part Two. The Last of Us Part Two came out, and I, I'm sure you've heard about this, right? Well, like yeah. You've heard some of the buzz. Uh, I thought this came out the week before. No, the reviews started coming out the week before, and the reviews were just like overwhelmingly positive lots of uh, review outlets the big ones are giving it a 10 out of 10 uh this is a new naughty dog game that uh, is the same people who made uncharted the all four or five of those games and uh, i love the uncharted games and i really like naughty dog games in general and one thing about the last of us that movie came out or that video game the first one came out a few years ago and i didn't love it but i i had a hard time finishing it but i've been excited for this new installment and one of the reasons and a big reason i'm bringing it up it not only did it distract me but one of the reasons it distracted me is it is a very narrative focused game and i've been playing it and it is like tremendously like maybe maybe i'm just like absent you know the consistency of seeing really good movies week to week it's just mostly been like good movies here and there and then every once in a while something like the five bloods but this game is like everything i've been wanting from like a blockbuster in quite a while uh to the point where i was thinking like man i wish quiet place part two could come out on time but uh yeah this this game will is like this story, this world, this atmosphere, it's everything I think I like about movies and video games rolled into one. So I, I'm a little bummed you're not into video games at all. You haven't played a video game, I believe, since Mario Party. Is that the case? The uh, well, not not since then, but that is my favorite video game. Though I did hear some exciting right. video game news, which I think might have only uh, appealed to me and a few others, which is that I guess they're making a Pokemon Snap 2. Yeah, I want to play that myself. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's like the tonal opposite of what The Last of Us is. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but I did. Like, well, I, was John, like, I, <laughs> yeah. I raise you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I just I heard that and I was like, oh, because Pokemon Snap is, uh, I mean, there doesn't mean much coming from me, but it's one of my favorite games. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that that's one of my favorite games. I heard there's a sequel. I'm like, I might have to get whatever console that, is, console that is uh to play that because that nintendo switch is it nintendo switch well okay. it is nintendo switch so you may have a hard time getting that console anytime yeah. soon but you hopefully <laughs> will be successful before long they're yeah, pretty uh, uh, in high demand at the moment I, 
I guess in five years I'll, I'll figure out what Pokemon Snap Two is about. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't really play enough video games to really uh, feel uh, <laughs> uh, quite an expert on it as you are and a few others. But um, yeah, I did hear not that. not an expert, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, just an enthusiast. Sure, that's fair. Um, but I did hear back uh, when the first game of The Last of Us came out, I remember that was pretty effusively praised as well. And I was like, you know, if I were to play a video game uh, of this type, I would probably play that. And so I'm, I'm sure the sequel is as good, if not better. So I'm glad to hear that it's getting good reviews and that you're enjoying it. The very least, I hope you at some point get into maybe live streaming or something so you could watch nah. like, maybe YouTube video walkthroughs. It's really fun, Will, because it's so story-driven. Whatever. All right, well, that is The Last of Us Part 2. Um, again, that's a big reason why. I've actually only seen a couple of things this weekend. In addition to The Politician, Season 2 came out on Netflix, and I kind of rolled through uh, that season. I, I don't think I have a lot of episodes left. Uh, that said, I want to do a quick birthday shout-out uh, for Gary. Um, so somebody... So Gary got a shout-out from, quote, his sister who decided to remain anonymous for some reason. That's what she wrote. I was very confused when I read that. But uh, regardless, I, I think maybe Gary has multiple sisters and they do not want him to know uh, which one <laughs> wrote in for uh, to wish him a happy birthday on Cinema Hawks. But happy birthday, Gary. Uh, Gary is a listener of the show and lives in Canada and has been listening, uh, according to his anonymous sister, uh, for the past few months, started with us. Uh, with our The Hunt reviews. So Gary, thank you for listening for this time. Uh, we didn't have like a listener question or something to spark a, dis a discussion. But uh, again, happy birthday. And I think this is the part where Will says something mean to you. Say something mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't that what no, you I have nothing mean to say. I hope he has a great birthday. I'm just kidding, Will. You're the nicest person in the podcasting biz. Yes, happy uh, birthday, Gary. <laughs> and uh, I... <laughs> Uh, before we get into our reviews for the week, uh, we did want to address, we got a, some interesting feedback on Cinemaholics as a show. And you know, Will, after we did last week's episode, I got to tell you, I thought, okay, we're going to get some, uh, we're going to get some pushback on uh, a few decisions, a few keys, key decisions that, uh, I, and, uh, well, mainly me, uh, not really Charlie, um, made in terms of how we opened last week's episode. It is pretty intense. Uh, but no, we didn't get any negative feedback about that. I was actually surprised that the it was, it was a totally different topic, and I do want to bring it up. I do not want to call out this person's username, but somebody reviewed the show uh, for Apple Podcasts, and we want to address it. So this review says... Uh, I think I forget what the the headline of it was, but it was like reviews for the partisan or something like that. So we're going to read it. Uh, so this movie review podcast is acutely focused on the host's ideology. Like most ideologically partisan people, they likely do not recognize how extreme they are when they speak about movies and how they relate to the way they view cultural events. They focus almost completely on whether they agree with the movie's ideological messaging. If they agree with it, uh, Oh, I read that wrong. If they agree with it, then they tend to give the movie a very positive review. If they disagree with the movie not being sufficiently far to the left side of the political spectrum, then they are quite negative about the viewing experience. One truly wonders if they have any moderate movie review friends. Do they even exist anymore? And I thought this was interesting because, you know, when I when I read this, I was like, yeah, this, this definitely feels like some pretty harsh criticism for you and me, Will. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't a one star review, though. It was a two star review. So I, that kind of told me that this person does get some value out of Cinemaholics. And so I wanted to gauge with this. I definitely want to have a dialogue about this uh, the best way we can. 
And uh, I want you to speak on this, of course, Will, but I think the first thing I do want to say is that I, I disagree with the premise, or I disagree with how, how this person has been interpreting our show. And uh, it's tough because they didn't cite any specific examples, but I do get the sense they've listened to enough of the show where they actually did, you know, soften it by saying they tend to uh, do this, right? So they say if they agree with it, then they tend to give the movie a very positive view. So not saying it's it's constant, but apparently we've done it enough times that this person has been um, irritated in some ways. So we're going to address that now. But uh, yeah, Will, what, what did you want to say about this? Uh, well, there's a couple things, but I mean... With anything, especially with art, it's kind of hard to not like to be apolitical, like even being apolitical is a kind of political stance in its own way. And I think we've talked about that a lot in the show. So, I mean, it's really I mean, I would feel like we might be cheating the listeners. if We really didn't discuss our politics in some fashion or another. Not that we have to talk about politics all the time for every movie. But I mean, it, it, I, I don't think it's really fair for us to skirt away from that if we do have something to say about a film as far as how we perceive its politics be and that leads me to my second point which is that i mean this is just our viewpoint like a lot of films are open to interpretation so i mean just because we read one thing into it doesn't mean that we believe that everyone should look at the film the same way i mean it just every film is different a lot of films are pretty open for interpretation so i mean if you don't really want to dive into the politics of a film like there are a lot of mainstream films that are purely entertaining on their own they might be have they might have some political stuff they're underlining it or overlining in some cases but i mean at the end of the day i mean art it's like anything and you know if you however you want to look at it is how you can look at it i mean you don't have to really dive into politics we just choose to sometimes if we feel it is uh something worth discussing but um i don't know i mean the other thing is that i don't know i mean there are examples like you said i think it might be easier if we just knew like what film or what reviews he was talking about specifically because maybe we could counter it or at least defend ourselves a little bit more but i mean there are fairly right-leaning films that i think we've enjoyed for instance i mean one of my favorite films of last year was dragged across concrete um which was not really a film that i think i uh matches my own political ideology but it's a film i'm able to enjoy because i think it's a really well-made film and i think it's really gripping and engaging even if it doesn't match how i believe uh it's if i even if i don't agree with how i perceive its politics to be um and then you know we talked about uh richard jewel which i think we were critical about but i mean that's a film we were both fair fairly favorable on i mean i think even a few clint eastwood films i know i've been more negative than you are but i think we've been fairly yeah uh, yeah i dug that film a little bit more than you did and i i had good things to say about it or sully richard jewel Okay, actually, I think we're about the same on Richard Jewell. I know Sully's not a film I particularly care for, but I think... Oh, you were talking about Sully. Yeah, yeah, I do like Sully better. You're right. Yeah, but I mean, even like something like... Like, I think three... uh, What's it? Is it... um, What was that? 315 to... Oh, I'm blanking. 315 to Paris. Yeah. Yeah. The other Clint Eastwood and yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a film that like, I think a lot of people were very negative on and I, I was too, but there's also like a segment in there where it's like... I think 10 minutes of it are some of the best things that Clint Eastwood's ever done. And I mean, I, I try to find film every, every film we review, I try to find something I like, something I enjoy. And I mean, those are like two examples. I mean, we were talking about off the air, like you could look at even something like the Marvel films are fairly right leaning. If you really want to dive into its view of like how it views militant or military culture and stuff like that. I mean, that's not really something we ever discussed. I don't think I have quite the political uh, expertise to really dive into that. But I mean, However you look at art, it's just it's a personal thing. I mean, I, I think we just look at because we are very left leaning people that 
we just tend to look at films from a left-leaning perspective. But, you know, art is art. I mean, you can, I, I don't think our politics have ever directly caused us to say one film is like, if, I don't think we've ever really said like, oh, because we believe in something, a film should get a positive review. Maybe we're wrong. I mean, if there's other examples of that, then feel free to share them. But um, like, I think films I've, like, I've agreed with politically that I don't think are good, for instance, are like Body Cam, which is a film that I think what it's trying to say is important. And I think if people want to check it out, they should. But I can't give that a good rating because I thought it just wasn't a good film. And I think that's generally how we approach films as far as politics. Is that like, I think we're willing to be more receptive to a film if we think it's saying something important or something that we agree with. But I don't think there's really that many cases of us actually going solely positive on a film just because we agree with its political ideology. Yes, that's why I thought this might be interesting to have a conversation about just because I actually think that I tend to be and, you know, I've reflected on this before. I think I tend to be a little harsher with movies that don't do more than just reinforce things I already agree with. Uh, My favorite movies are ones that kind of transcend what I think this person is talking about, where it's less about reinforcing ideological political ideas and more about making you rethink the ones you already have. I think a good uh, example of that is a movie like Get Out, which is a movie that technically is ideologically attacking white liberalism. It's attacking the way that white liberals appropriate um, mm-hmm. black culture. That's not that's not necessarily right leaning. But that's what I like about it. It is its own thing. It is an independently derived film that is ringing true and it's making you question ideas you already have. And that's the reason why sometimes I respond pretty well to movies like Richard Jewell, which did make a very fair point that clashes a bit with some preconceived notions I have um, because uh, that was based on a true story. And what happened to this man is very true. And so you know, I, I think that uh, to the, what this person is saying, maybe sometimes we don't so elegantly explain what we're talking about. But I would say, you know, I listen to a lot of I listen to a lot of movie podcasts. Will Ashton, I, I'm used to seeing this comment come up. Um, I'm used to talking about this with people who get frustrated with uh, film podcasts that I really like, ones that I do think are a, quite a bit more political than we are, um, and just in the sense where they, I've listened to some shows where people will find any excuse to bring up. Um, something political when talking about a movie and sometimes they're really grasping at straws and it can irritate me a bit when I hear stuff like that because uh, I don't think every movie warrants that by any stretch and I think sometimes uh, it is tempting you know just just to impart to this person it can be tempting to sort of vent uh, ideologically when you are reviewing a movie for whatever reason and it can be hard to regulate that Uh, You know, something about me that I don't know if a lot of our listeners know, because the question was asked, you know, do you guys have any moderate movie review friends? I have a lot of conservative movie review friends, like hardcore right-leaning conservative friends. Um, I grew up conservative. I was conservative most of my life, like hardline conservative. It was my upbringing. And, you know, I've definitely uh, changed my views quite a bit in the last, uh, I want to say like five or six years. And, you know, that's my own personal business. But I would just say that I know a lot of people who, um, and myself included, I was one of those persons who was into film. And it made me uncomfortable when I would watch a film and I would feel like something wasn't reinforcing my ideology. But I think I'm so used to that. It kind of informs who I am as a critic today, I think, because I learned and I kind of self-taught how to filter out messaging and understand that it is one element of a film. And if a film is preaching to you, or if it's preaching to someone as you perceive it, 
I don't think that is the mark of quality. And I definitely think that there is something to be said about movies that you watch and your takeaway from it is like, yeah, I agree with that or no, I disagree with that. And so that means the movie isn't good. And I hope we're always trying to to strive to not really do that. But at the same time, I think, like you said, well, we would be cheating the listeners if we pretended, you know, if we tried to act like we're more moderate than we are, or we're more apolitical than we are, you know, politicizing things is kind of a way of life. It frustrates me that like everything comes down to everything is being turned political these days and everything is about these culture wars and we're divided up into these tribes. And I just think it's it's annoying and it's frustrating and I don't think it's very productive to the point where sometimes I don't know if something I'm saying is going to strike somebody as left leaning, quote unquote, because that's how they perceive it. And I just wish there was a little bit more open mindedness that people could have to other perspectives, because that's what it comes down to when you're reviewing a film uh, and if you're listening to somebody review a film or reading somebody's review of a film, I hope you are opening yourself to other perspectives. And I think a lot of people who are a little bit more moderate or conservative might be listening to this show and they do appreciate what we talk about. Well, because they are open-minded to us, even though they don't agree with us on everything. And I want to take a second to, to thank those listeners, because I think that that takes a lot of, uh, that, that takes a lot of chutzpah to do that and a lot of maturity and i know they're out there so i i want to say thanks to them for sure and you know thanks to this listener for airing out their grievance even though you and i have uh some uh some definitely some uh i don't want to say uh uh gripes or something like that but we definitely have some points we want to raise yeah i mean i, I check a lot of what you were saying before like a lot of my friends are conservative or moderates uh, as well and like you said um uh, I have I grew up in a fairly conservative household, like a lot of people I knew growing up were conservative and my political ideology is about the same. Like I, I grew up fairly because I was around fairly conservative people. My initial onset was more conservative than it is now. So, I mean, yeah, I, I can't, you know, I, I, I am who I am. <laughs> I, 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 I try to be true to how I feel about something. Uh, I'd feel worse if it came off as insincere. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I try to listen to other people as well. Even if I don't agree with them, I, I like hearing the opposite perspective, or at least I try to seek it out just so I can have a more, um, equal, I guess, perspective on things, or at least hear what the other well-rounded maybe. Yeah. Well-rounded. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do appreciate the, the comment, like you said, I mean, I, I do think it is worth noting and I mean, you know, if there's an uh, additional comment to be made from it, I, I mean, you know, if there's something more specific that they wanted to address, uh, I think it, you know, it, I think we would like to hear it. I mean, just to kind of get a better understanding of what exactly the issue was. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of more like, I'm, I don't know, because I'm trying to think back on like, what were some of our more like political conversations of like the past couple episodes? Like the one that comes to mind, since maybe you just mentioned it was the hunt. But like, if I think back to our conversation about that, like, I remember my main point was that like that movie felt like it was kind of like not really leaning to push like either side that hard. Like, I, I don't think it was necessarily that they were critical of liberal minded people, but that like they weren't willing to be harder on either side. Like, I think like if you're going to attack liberals and conservatives, just go really hard for it. Like, just if that's the point you're trying to make, just go like real yeah, deep go full like, south park yeah yeah or if you want i mean you know like i do like south park i mean i don't agree with everything that's done politically but they they pull their they don't pull their punches they <laughs> they definitely are uh uh definitely very free to they they get their point across <laughs> whether i agree with it or not and uh i i think they do in a fairly entertaining fashion so i don't know i think it's worthwhile 
uh, comment. I mean, you know, we, we have uh, our thoughts on it, but I'm glad they yeah. felt I, I'm sad that that was somebody's, I'm sad that was somebody's takeaway. Uh, it kind of bums me out that we're being perceived that way by someone. But um, I know that it, it is one comment that uh, is, pro- of course, not shared by everybody who listens to the show. So we have to take it that way. Uh, and it is kind of funny, too, because literally in this episode, we are going to talk about one movie in particular, I think, does not fully graft to some of my political views, but I definitely have a lot of really nice things to say about it. So we'll be able to kind of, uh, I'll be able to practice what I preach a little bit here in a minute. So I guess with that, we should probably get into it. Sure. All right. Let's start with our first review of the week. That is a film called Miss Juneteenth. All right. Miss Juneteenth is a new drama film, kind of like a family drama. It was directed by Channing Godfrey Peoples. And it stars the wonderful Nicole Bahari, as well as Kendrick Sampson and Alexis Chikazi. Uh Will, I, I forget. Did you say you did see this or did you not? I think you saw the other. Two I have about. not seen this one. Okay. So te- technically our featured review will be after this one. Um, so right. I'll, I'll make this a little bit fast then because I, the one, I think the one film you and I both saw is our next review, right? Yeah. I mean, don't, don't rush. <laughs> okay, no well. rush. No. Well, you know, I, I have great things to say. I don't think we'll be here um, super long or anything like that, but I think we'll have um, a very fun conversation, or I'll have a very fun monologue, I guess, about uh, Mr. Routine. This movie just came out this past weekend. It actually premiered at Sundance in January. Uh, I did not see it then, but I did see it on VOD this past week. And this is uh, coming to us from Vertical Entertainment. Now, I will be I will be totally honest. I am not very familiar with the director here, Channing uh, Godfrey's Peoples. I don't know if I've seen any of their other work. Uh, but Nicole Bahari, we, we have seen her a lot of great things. Uh, movies like uh, 2013's uh, 42, um, I think was the last thing I think I saw her in. But I did, you know, we, we've mentioned this movie a couple times, but Monsters and Men uh, from a couple years ago and Which uh, is, got a little uh, bit more released last year. Free um, on Neon right now, I believe. Yeah, so yeah, you can go seek it right now. She is uh, in that film as well. And uh, I think th- there's another, there's, she's on like a TV show that I never got into. I think it was Sleepy Hollow. Uh, it was one of those like Fox, Fox supernatural yeah. shows. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Um, for, from you know like quite some years ago. Yeah. I think before that we was, were ever doing Cinemaholics. That was the one that was like, what if Ichabod Crane was sexy, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, I never got into that show, but uh, I have followed her career. Um, you know, and, and several other movies like American Violet and Shame. Great actress, and it's great to see her leading a film here in uh, Miss Juneteenth, which. You know, we start this movie and we get to know this this woman and she once won a beauty pageant in I believe it is Fort Worth, Texas called Miss Juneteenth. So instead of like Miss Fort Worth, it's Miss Juneteenth. And that is, a, of course, a reference that they explain in the movie is the holiday of Juneteenth, which is interesting because, you know, I've, I've known about Juneteenth for quite a while, but it definitely it seems like, you know, this this year in particular, there's a lot more conversation. There's a lot more um there's a lot more relevance being added to Juneteenth. There's a lot more uh, awareness of this holiday for many reasons that uh, we don't need to get into. But uh, this holiday, if you are unaware, is when the slaves of Texas during the American Civil War were told that they had been freed by the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, which the sad thing was that they had technically been freed by this proclamation for two years. But because the Confederacy was still going strong in Texas, it was obviously not very close to where the war was happening. The slave owners in Texas were able to hide this from most of the slaves. And it was on Juneteenth, which is a portmanteau for June 19th in 1965, 
that these slaves found out that they had been freed by the Union. And of course, the Civil War ended not too long after that. And so it's it's a reference to a point in time that, uh, you know, one thing I like about this movie quite a bit is that as we follow the story of this woman who had won this beauty pageant, this is this piece of history is always in the background. It's always informing the subtext and the context for where they live, uh, for the poverty of this area and for the way people sort of like, you know, buttheads and everything like that. But there's never like a moment, for example, where somebody directly compares like American slavery to the current moment. And it's more subtle than that. And so for that reason, it's definitely more effective. And we really spend more time, as I mentioned, in this more family drama kind of movie where Nicole Bahari's character, Bahari's character, Turquoise, she is kind of a working class single mother who is trying to raise her daughter, right? Her daughter is um, about to be 15. Um, her daughter uh, is played by Alexis Shikazi, and she wants her daughter to win the next Miss Juneteenth pageant. And the stakes are pretty high for this because if she wins, she gets a full scholarship to the Texas College, or I think it's like the black institution of her choice, like predominantly black institution. And I think uh, they, they mentioned at one point last year's Miss Juneteenth went to a Texas university. So it's a pretty local kind of thing, it seems like. And we learn over the course of the film why Turquoise, who's this extremely young mother who clearly um, had her daughter when she was a teenager, why she didn't uh, get a chance to use her full scholarship. Uh, it's one of those movies, though, where like they don't you don't have these like 10, 15, 20 minute expositional diatribes. It really just it really is a, a great script. It, it just lays this stuff out through. Uh, just visual storytelling through Bahari's performance. I, when you're watching it, you really just get a sense for what characters are feeling and how. I won't say everybody in the cast is particularly as strong. And there are some like plot threads that I thought were a little underdeveloped based on, you know, th there's some promises made at the beginning of this movie that you feel like you're getting uh, a type of movie that addresses a certain problem maybe that women have uh, in beauty pageants, for example. And then it just sort of drops that thread kind of uh, clumsily, I thought. And I, I was a little brought down by that, but you know, it, it, it is something you can kind of easily overlook because the, the main thing I liked about this movie, and I think a lot of people will respond to, is the relationship between the mother and the daughter. Even when other plot threads, like a love triangle that doesn't really go anywhere, and you know, all this other stuff to sort of infuse like plot and drama into what is otherwise a pretty quiet, uh, contemplative film, uh, the movie is smart enough to always come back to the, the mother and daughter, because the, the real conflict of the film is that her daughter, she doesn't necessarily want this pageant. She wants other things. She has other interests. And she sort of conflicted herself with, you know, am I, you know, am I the person who my mother wants me to be, or am I doing things on my own terms? And she's 15 years old. And I think the performance is really good because you never feel like she's one of those uh, screen written uber smart 15 year olds. Like she's a kid, but she still does have like a, a sort of teenage wisdom that I thought was pretty authentic. And so I would definitely say come to Miss Juneteenth for the performances for what I think is a pretty tight movie. It's just 103 minutes, not too long. Uh, and you can rent it right now. It's only $6. And uh, it's a great way to recognize uh, the Juneteenth holiday. I know it's already passed, but uh, you still have a chance. And if you're interested in that sort of thing, I definitely encourage you to do that as well. And, you know, it's definitely not as heavy handed as a movie like Defy Bloods, which is another sort of uh, film kind of tying in with current events in a pretty direct way. But uh, that's something I do like about this film. I think that there's a place for this type of film 
as well. And so I have a lot, I have a lot of uh, a good memories watching this. I think this was a really fun watch. I fun in the sense that it was it was nice to see a character drama this well made. When I feel like lately they've been slightly under this sort of quality. So I'm a B plus on Miss Juneteenth. And uh, but Will Ashton, you're probably thinking to yourself B plus. That's in, that's incredible. Does the B stand for box office sensation? Unfortunately, no. The film has only made twenty four thousand five hundred dollars at the box office. Go figure, considering the times we live in when movie theaters are closed. But uh, I do wonder, you know, I wonder how much this would have made uh, in a limited release as we tend to get. If, if I don't think any of the major studios acquired this, uh, just Vertical Entertainment, which uh, is obviously a more indie distributor based out of Santa Monica. And uh, yeah, I, I hope you do get a chance to see it, Will, at some point because it is readily available and I think it's worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, I think I might have gotten a screener for this, but I forget. Uh, but I am curious about it. So uh, yeah, I'll let you know if I check it out. All right. Uh, let's get to our next film. This is one that we both have seen, and uh, I'm glad we did both see it because I'm very curious what you think. This. this is the film I was referring to earlier, which uh, in terms of uh, there were some things about it um, ideologically that I really struggled with, and but I struggled with in a way that I'm glad I did because it it, it actually provoked real introspection. It, it made mm-hmm. me think, and I think that that's, that's uh, kind of a rarity uh, right now. Uh, I think a lot of films lately have just sort of, I don't want to say they've been on autopilot, but they have been a little bit more of like clear cut in their messaging. It seems like that's kind of been the trend of a lot of the festival films we've gotten this year. And this is a pretty small thriller film. This is like a paranoia uh, film that takes place almost completely in one place, Uh, similar to movies like 127 hours and buried. Uh, but yeah, this film 7500, I think is actually actually how you're supposed to say it because it's not 7500, it's like a code. So 7500, which we find out pretty early on in the movie, is a code for when a plane is being hijacked. And so this film stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and we have not seen him in a movie since I want to say The Walk, probably? So four years? Uh, no, no, Stone. Which movie? Snowden. Yeah, we're Snowden. Snowden. Movie? Yeah, yeah. Well, they were, they came out around the same time though, right? So I think The Walk came uh, out right after Snowden. Yeah. Well, no, Snowden came out a year after The Walk because The Walk was 2015. Oh, I, th- was I think maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because Snowden was uh, September 2016 and then Walk must have been 2015. Okay, thank you. But, so yes, um, Snowden would probably be the last one. But I mean, he did do some like either like voice cameos or like very brief appearances in the last two Ryan Johnson films. Uh, the last Jedi. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think it's, it, it's any sort of like, uh, like he's hurting for work or anything like that. I think he's an actor still quite in demand. Yeah, I think um, he's, uh, well, he has hit record, which is like his production, like helping other young filmmakers kind of get their films and voices out there. And I think he's been kind of working more doing stuff of his own, like, cause he did Don John a few years ago. And, um, I think he just I might guess that he's probably doing more stuff behind the scenes right now and maybe just some things didn't come together or whatever. But uh, yeah, it is nice to see him. It, like you said, it, it felt like it felt like it'd been a while. And then when I looked up, I was like, oh, yeah, it's been about four years. So good to see him back. Right. It's great to see him. And, uh, you know, I think he has other projects coming up. I don't know too much about them, but uh, I think he has like two more movies slated uh, for the rest of this year. So this won't be the last time we'll see him. And uh, this film technically came out last year, actually, we should say. It premiered at the Sarno Films Festival, I think is how you say it. Um, I've, I've actually, I've never really heard of it. It's held in uh, Switzerland. So I had just heard of it for this film. 
But uh, yeah, it's uh, it came out and it's being distributed by Amazon Studios uh, just this past weekend, and it is a crisp ninety-two minutes, just Ooh. like how Will Ashton likes it. Yeah, five yeah. million dollar budget. This is this is like this is definitely speaking Will Ashton's language, mm-hmm. uh, but Will, uh, so let us know what what is this movie about, and uh, should we be checking it out? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's too much you can really say about the plot because it's pretty uh, contained, like you said. But it's a, um, is it American German production or is it just a German production with American actors? I think it is. I think you're right. Yeah, because there are a few other production companies involved. I think one of them is German, and I think there's another one that might be Dutch. I'd, I'd have to look that up. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, but some folks might have heard of uh, Film Nation, which is uh, the American one that helped to make this as well. And that's the one that's more familiar to me personally. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so we basically just follow uh, an American pilot who is uh, working for, uh, I think, a German um, playing company of some sort. And then he's been there for a little while because he has uh, a, a relationship with a flight attendant. They have a child together. And uh, it looks like they have plans to get married. And, you know, he's he's a very kind of reserved guy. Like, you know, he's mild mannered, kind of uh, soft spoken. But uh, you could tell like, he's a fairly you know driven person, uh, not really yeah. uh, pushing the status quo, just kind of doing his job and trying to do it well. And um, he is on board this flight that would ultimately prove to be uh, not well fated when uh, about uh I would say like maybe like 15 or 10 minutes into the flight because we follow it mostly in real time. Um, the plane gets hijacked, like you said, by um, some terrorists who uh, we'll find out why later on. But, um, you know, as we, as we follow it, we kind of follow it from the pilot's perspective, which is that basically, you know, the plane is everything's just going to to crap and uh we just kind of have to figure out from his perspective how he's going to handle it. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's another one of these films like Buried. Uh, like the shallows, a few others that we've gotten recently where it's mostly just one actor kind of like caught in this very perilous, intense situation where he has to figure out like moment by moment what exactly he's going to do. This one, I think, is a little bit more unique because it's not only his life that's in danger, but obviously all the patient or the passengers yeah. involved that where he has to kind of think not only for himself and his personal interests, but like what's the best thing for everyone involved, uh, even if it does. Yeah, mean- there's a lot of moral questioning because yeah. it's like the lives of the passengers. Also, if the the plane crashes the lives that it could potentially harm right exactly well. yeah so um yeah i mean it like you said i mean that's that's definitely when i like a nice like tight movie like this like you know it's just something where it's like you know it, it knows what it's doing it's not really doing anything you haven't seen before but it's sure. well executed and i think execution is often key like you know i mean you know for all of our uh ideology talk earlier i think at the end of the day, at least for me, like, I mean, I, I often tend to think, like, is this movie working? Is it not working? Uh, and obviously that's all objective. But uh, for me, I was really digging this throughout. And I'm very curious where you you were with it. I was I was digging it as well. I think, yes, yeah, it's, it's well executed. I don't think it's very twisty, turny and in a ton of a unpredictable ways. A, a little bit, but it but, definitely. But you like, know where it's going. Like, you, you, it, there's no like right. shocks, but there are like exactly some, like, about surprises. Yeah, it, it knows how to sort of set up a plot turn instead of just stuff, stuff just happening out of nowhere. And that's something I'd like that it was like, uh, I could tell this script a lot of thought got put into how every, how every moment and have every scene was benefited or served up by the one before. And that, that's stuff that I respond to. Definitely. I think, man, Joseph Gordon Levitt 
really like obviously he carries a film but i have forgotten just how much quiet dignity this guy brings to a role he is he is just making um what would otherwise be like a kind of a slog of a movie that's so intense and so much pressure would be making you kind of maybe upset or like you know viscerally uncomfortable i think that he he really make makes this thing it's a he makes this thing really work because he he just has like this sort of stoic charisma. It's very different from maybe when you hear the word charisma, you probably think of something else. You're probably thinking of like a Casanova, fast talking, charming uh, kind of person. Tom Cruise type. You could definitely see like a Tom Cruise type trying to work in this. Yeah, movie. I think there's a little bit of that being channeled here for sure. That's a good comparison. And uh, the supporting cast obviously is really solid. And I think one of the hijackers in particular, played by Omid Mamar, uh, turns into a character who really serves up what I think keeps the film pretty fresh because we get so much of one uh, type of energy from this movie. Uh, what ends up making it feel like it's not just the same thing over and over again is this guy who comes into the film and definitely starts raising some personal stakes, some emotional stakes. And I, I definitely had that feeling of like, there were certain things the film was like feeding into certain stereotypes of Muslims and terrorists that I think that that's the sort of thing like, you know, that, part of me ideologically i was i struggled with and i was like man you know i that, that's something that kind of that just gets on my nerves when when movies do that but this is an example this is just another one of those examples where uh i actually like it did make me think a little bit because the, clearly the movie knows what some people watching it might think of that and it raises a few things of like for example uh, uh it's revealed at one point that one of the victims in the in the uh the plane is also muslim and then there's a little bit of a a bit of a, a bit of conflict between the hijackers in that in that sense. So that that's the thing that I liked is that even though it raised some things that I, I felt a little bit like, man, you know, like that's something that I, I definitely don't jive with. Um, I did think there was some thoughtfulness put into that issue and, and some realism put into it. And uh, I don't want to give stuff away, but I think there was stuff that happened toward the end of the film where I was understanding this. Re this isn't a film about that sort of like ideological stance that you might have. It's a little bit more about like what it takes for a person to kill another person and also what it takes for somebody to not kill another person. And like that kind of humanity comes through. And I think that is just something that uh, definitely was not, I was not expecting that. And uh, it, it definitely ended with me. So I, you know, I, I've seen films like this before to your point, but that was one thing that did stand out that I, I was not expecting. I'm, I'm glad it's there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard. It's a fairly economical film as far as like, like we were saying, it, it knows what it's trying to do. It's getting in, it's getting out effectively. But I think in the margins, we do kind of see more of the like thoughtful intellectual ideas that are at play. I, I think one could argue that like they're not really dived in too deep because the film is so like tightly constructed that it doesn't really want to dive too deep into those. But like you said, like I think having that openness and like having those little moments where it does kind of ca cause you to question those things uh, does make you wonder, uh, like it gets your mind working. And I think in a way that I wasn't really anticipating at least, but um, yeah, I mean, cause like you said, like at the beginning of this, like I, I got kind of like, like a 2006 kind of vibe where it's like, is this kind of like, where like, uh, you know, like looking at movies sound like, even though I do really like United 93, like kind of like that perspective where like, like we don't really get to see too, too much of the inner lives. I mean, it's been a little bit since I've seen that film. So maybe I'm speaking out of term, but um, of like the hijackers. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, I think it's mostly just a showcase for Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Initially, I guess Paul Dano was supposed to be. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of strange to imagine that. I wonder how he would have dealt with it. I, I can't yeah. imagine somebody else in the role after now seeing it. But yeah. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, even though I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt's performance is the one that's probably going to be champion the most, I do think it is really a testament to the direction and the editing that the movie works. And also, I mean, yeah. the sound design, too. I mean, just like the way that like, you know, like the pounding of the door and like all the little like right. different things. I was going to mention hype. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like on a technical level, uh, you get the sense that this director, we, we mentioned him before, but Patrick Valrath, who uh, I had to look up because I'd forgotten about this guy. But he did a, a German short film called Everything Will Be OK um, some years ago. And uh, he wrote and directed that. It got nominated for Best Live Action Short Film at the Oscars. And yeah, I think, uh, I don't remember which Oscars that was, but yeah, you know, I think that he does have a knack for building that claustrophobia and that tension on a pretty small budget because yeah, we are in this like one place and like the sound mixing there is a bit understated because it's so easy for like the banging of the door to, instead of being like something that adds to the atmosphere, being something that distracts from it and causes, you know, just Mm -hmm. straight up like displeasure for the audience and um, i wonder how it would have played on the big screen for that reason but yeah, yeah no point did i ever feel that way yeah i mean um just thinking back to the vast of night which i believe you just recently saw as well yeah I dug like, it. that was a film it's a good film yeah uh yeah i'm glad to hear that that's another film because he, like you said this is a feature directorial debut right like i know he's done some shorts but this it is, is like yeah so it, yeah uh and i think this is like what i usually hope for when uh you know especially when short film filmmakers uh, make their first feature film where it's something that, you know, it does show their talents, it does show their uh, smarts as a filmmaker, but it also, you know, it's contained enough that you can tell that like the project never really escapes them, or at least it never shows on screen. And so like, I, I really like movies like this and the vast night that just, you know, they're very tightly wound. You can tell that the filmmaker with their head on their shoulders is making it. Uh, and uh, yeah, in that sense, I was kind of bummed that this didn't get the same because they're both Amazon films that this one didn't get like a, uh, like a drive-in rollout, but I have to, I'm guessing it's because there's so much German in the film that maybe they were afraid that people wouldn't be able to read the subtitles or something. Uh, maybe they just never had any intention of releasing this in theaters, but if that's the case, I do feel bad because it does seem like the type of film that, I mean, obviously I talk a lot about wanting to see most movies in theaters, but this one, I feel like being, you know, confined into a theater, like the outside world's outside and stuff like that would have been more beneficial. And I think um, that would have helped to maybe get some of the, issues I have with the film that I really haven't dived into yet, but I think that might help to like get my mind off of some of those if I was like in the theater and just fully like focused on the film in that way. But uh, just as, yeah, especially as a, as a debut, I think it's really solid stuff. Yeah. So let's get into some of the negatives. So yeah, cause I, I got a couple too. Um, I, I don't think this is a film that I, I guess I don't think it's going to work for everybody. I think it worked on me. I, I had a good experience, but I could see people just not digging this film's wavelength you know what i mean just being like this is not the kind of movie i want to see or like this is mm-hmm. not i think i think you know maybe watching the trailer whether or not this is for you and i think that is certainly a plus but yeah yeah what, what were some of the things that dragged it down a little bit i mean i think a lot of it just kind of comes down to the writing which i don't none of it, it's like particularly bad but a lot of the dialogue i do think is clunky to a point where it did take me out of the film uh, especially in the earlier moments, I felt like, you know, like there there's the need to kind of throw an exposition in a way that I understand, but does kind of feel like, all right, this is this section of the movie. And it's like, here's where you have to do this thing. And it's just like that. And that way, it felt a little almost like procedural uh, to me um, in a way that I think kind of took me out of the film personally. I don't know if that was the case for you or not, but that was that was probably my biggest gripe with the film in that regard. A little bit. I think I think the film, um, what I like about the execution is that it does sort of have a little bit of a magic trick of making you think everything's in real time 
Um, and then that that sort of trick was something that I I managed to appreciate a little bit more. But yeah, it, it just some of some of the stuff that happens is so cliche um, that it made me think a little bit. I maybe kind of rethink what I thought of Captain Phillips and you know what 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 was it about that movie that I think was I I I think parts of that movie I like better and parts of it I don't like it's almost like there are things about both films that kind of complement each other um in terms of like what it's what happens when you get hijacked and there's a sort of like problem solving situation that you have to sort of go through and I think like maybe there were more sparks of humanity that came out through Tom Hanks performance in Captain Phillips if I had to compare the two films whereas with Joseph Gordon-Levitt he is he is kind of sometimes like a, a little bit of a robot and I don't want to say that for the whole film. I think he has to do that. He has to sort of like steal himself yeah, it's, it's in order character. to handle what's going on. So I do appreciate that different take on it. I, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet, though. And I probably have to process it some more. I mean, I, I kind of felt that to me, I chucked that mostly up to the character, though, because we, we established fairly early on that he's like kind of meant to be more reserved and that like, you know, he's not like a shy sure. person, but he doesn't like, you know, like he he tends to kind of like keep to himself. And he ha- you also have to kind of have that mindset, I feel like which is something I find pretty fascinating about this film is like exploring, like what kind of mindset do you have to be to be a pilot? Cause I don't really know many pilots personally. I don't know if that's the case for you or not, but like, you know, like, I mean, there's, I have to be, I have to imagine there's some sort of like mindset in that regard where it's just like, you would have to know uh, like this could happen theoretically at any point. And maybe if they had done more of the legwork to kind of explore that, but I also feel like the movie tends to know that like, it just needs to communicate something as fast as possible and kind of like as quickly as possible in a way that's not like, like I said, like the dialogue is there to kind of get to the motion going. And, you know, it's kind of hard to get that delivered in a way it's not clunky. But I think I do admire the restraint more than I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a hard movie to to talk about and watch at certain moments. But I am curious, uh, you know, I was thinking about who I would recommend this to because I don't want to. I don't want to recommend a movie to somebody that's just going to make them mad. So I just have to, like I said before, I was like, watch a trailer. If this is the kind of movie that's sort of your dig, uh, maybe give it a shot. But um, I, I do struggle a little bit with the recommendation. I think that we watched it because it was a new film. And and so I was kind of pleasantly surprised by some of the stuff I took away um, by the very end, even though, you know, certain things definitely rubbed me the wrong way in terms of certain stereotypes the film carries over. But yeah, on a technical level, this thing really, this really shines, I think, in a in a way that I wasn't um, expecting from a film with this low of a budget, uh, with a film this, uh, that's not this, that's not super ambitious, I guess. So I'm a pretty solid B on 7500. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I was between uh, a B and a B minus as well. I think I'm going to give it a low B as well, just because. Well, usually, think... you know how this works, Will. Yeah. When you yeah, say I'm, you're between I'm getting two you on letter your codes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like the movie. Uh, I just, I never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really solid. Definitely as a acting and directing exercise. Um, I would like to see. Uh, what's the filmmaker's name? Patrick Volof. Patrick Volroth, I think is how you say. Volroth, it. He's yeah. German, so I we're, yeah. we're totally not pronouncing that correctly. Sure, I, I should know, but uh, unfortunately, I don't. But um, yeah, I I can't. Uh, I, I'm very curious to see what um, he'll do next. I'm curious if he's going to do more kind of smaller films like this. He might tackle something a little bit bigger, a little bit more narratively complex. Um, but yeah, like I said, I mean, I, I tend to like movies like this that are a little bit more uh, small scale, but high stakes uh, stuff that is very character driven, even if we don't really fully get into the inner life of the characters. 
Um, uh, and like you said, yeah, this is kind of this is my jam. Like I, I like movies like this. Um, and I, I do agree that maybe if this had come out in, a, in the summertime, in a traditional summer movie season, uh, this might have gotten kind of slipped through the cracks. And maybe we're only really talking about it because of uh, everything that's going maybe. on right now. But Well, it, it is Joseph Gordon-Levitt, though. So I think that would have been enough say. for at least one of us to see it. I mean, it would have gotten probably like an okay theatrical role. I just don't know if it would have still slipped through the cracks because it's like, sure, you know, sure. like with everything that would have come out around this time uh, initially, if things had gone according to plan, there, I could definitely see this kind of slipping through the cracks. And, you know, maybe one of us at CM, maybe we hadn't. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I am glad I got the chance to check it out. Like I said, I'm, I'm bummed I didn't get to see the theatrical version of it if there was ever a plan to show in theaters, um, just because I do think it probably would have been better to see it that way. But at the same time, you know, I had a good time. I, I, I mean, it's kind of uh, lean and mean, like I said. And, you know, even if it doesn't really work for you, I mean, it's it's sure enough. I think it's uh, fast paced and intense enough that I, I can't really see anyone unless they like really, really like dislike movies like this. And like you said, like some of the more uh, ideological political stuff, I think I could definitely understand that might that taking some people out of it. And that's totally understandable. But uh, I think most people will respond to this pretty well. So I would say if it, if it is something you're interested in, I'd check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, last thing I'll say, it is kind of refreshing to see a, a change of location. You know, I liked that this was uh, I, more of a European setting, you know, that, that kind of added to it, I think. And it, it made it feel yeah. a little bit less like America's the center of the world, which actually sure. sort of helps the message of the film Even in, though- in a way. Even though it's about an American. <laughs> right. Well, that's but, the thing. It sort of plays that game, doesn't it? And so that's yeah. why I kind of, that's something I kind of appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think that this film, it does feel like it's in some ways maybe dabbling with complacency um, or like, because it starts off so calm and everybody's just a little bit complacent about the kind of dangerous world we can live in. And so I'm, I'm Curious how this film will age, and I'm curious uh, what some other people might think oh, sure. of how this film handles that, and whether or not this is the right kind of uh, right kind of tension to kind of focus in on. But sure, uh, yeah. So double B though for you and me. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I definitely think it's fair. That's why I was kind of saying that it felt in its own kind of way, good and bad, like a blast from the past, like something we would have seen in like 2006 or 2007 or maybe 2005. Um, but the only other thing I'll add is that like. There seems to be some like kind of confusion sometimes when people are talking about like what's a horror movie and what's a thriller. Uh, if you really want to know what like a thriller is, this is a thriller. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 100%. Like this is a, cl- a prime example of what a thriller is. Uh, if there's any confusion about that, that this is a good example for that. All right, we have another review to get to a Netflix film, and you know the last two films we're talking about, uh, I they're the ones that you've seen, well that I have not. I only saw two films this week. Because The Last of Us Part Two took hold. Um, I did. I like was about to start Wasp Network, and I I tell you what, I saw the Politician season two, and I was like, maybe I do that first. <laughs> I think it was because I wanted more of a background sort of thing. I did, I knew if I watched Wasp Network, I'd be a little bit more focused on the film. Um, and whereas Politician, I kind of needed a I needed a little bit of a break, and that's not a very brainy show or anything. So just kind of. I enjoyed it for for that, but I was looking forward a little bit to Wasp Network because it has some people in it who I really love. Uh, like I said, it's a, a Netflix film. It's internationally co-produced. It was written and directed by Olivia Esaias. And like I said, this cast is pretty good. Uh, Penelope Cruz, wonderful. Haven't seen her since Pain and Glory. Um, Edgar Ramirez, um, who I, I can't remember the, the last time I saw him in like a 
like a movie. I feel like I've seen him more on TV stuff, I want to say. But and then also Gael Garcia Bernal, um, who was uh, he was in um, E2 Mama Tambien. This is probably his most famous role. But I think some people might not know that uh, besides Mozart and Jungle and all that, he was uh, one of the voice actors in Coco. And oh, yeah, so, yeah. And he's saying, I think, the song at the Oscars. Uh, that was fun. But then also Ana de Armas, who's just having, she's having quite a 2020. Uh, I feel like we get a new Ana de Armas yeah, movie like once a month. Yeah. Yeah. This is her second like Netflix movie in like the last two and a half months, it seems like. Not only that, but her second film with- With uh, Wagner Mora. Yeah. 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 He's in this too, the Brazilian actor from, Which yeah, they were both uh, in Sergio. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wagner Mora, who you might also recognize from uh, Narcos. Uh, but yeah, so you saw this. I have not had a chance to see this. It premiered at Venice last year. I didn't really hear about it um, in the festival. I don't think it got a ton of buzz. Um, but it did come out in France uh, theatrically, I think, in January this year. And Netflix is now sending this out based on a true story. It has to do with Cuban spies, which is what Wasp Network refers to. Will, Ashton, you saw this movie. What is it about? Who is in it? Is it worth watching a 123-minute movie on Netflix? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you you dive pretty deep into who's in it, so <laughs> I don't think I need to do that. But um, yeah, like, uh, I guess I was thinking more of like, who are they as like characters? Sure. Well, first, I mean, uh, if you don't know uh, Olivier Azias, Azias, I'm I'm butchering his name. I apologize, but Olivier um, Azias, I think is how you Zayas, yeah. would say it. Yeah, he's a uh, French, so that's like right. You know, its own pronunciation. Yeah, I mean, well. So he did. He's probably most known for uh, some of the more recent art films that he's done, like Something in the Air, Personal Shopper, Clouds of Silsmara, and uh, most recently Nonfiction. But he also did in 2010 Carlos with uh, Edgar, uh, Edgar Ramirez, which is probably the movie that I think if you're going into this, I think especially like you said with the spies and like you know d- definitely talking about like drug connections and all these different kind of oh, more internal. Zash like oh okay like is it gonna be like that which I haven't seen that film but from what I can tell that's kind of like your more traditional kind of like whiz bang buck like I'm more like action focused film this one I think intentionally so is a lot more reserved in its approach in that like it's a lot more about like the lives of the characters and like I mean obviously the crime element comes up but it's kind of more just like exploring them as like as they're in their personal lives and just like talking about them more as far as like who they were and why they feel a need to kind of uh, go against and fight for Cuba uh, in their own personal ways and just kind of talking about their political ideology. And I think on paper, that execution would be really effective and interesting, especially giving the director's past work where he does tend to do a lot more character focused stuff. It's kind of like a merging of like what we expect from him, plus what he did with Carlos from what I can tell. But unfortunately, I think the film itself, like I said, execution is where it comes from. And I think ultimately while there is something to be dug there. And I think there's something really interesting. And I think the cast could make that work. And I think the director is really solid. I just don't think this movie, unfortunately comes together particularly well. And it bummed me out. Cause like, I was excited for this. Like, I think I told you that before. Like I was, you know, yeah. I was genuinely pretty excited for this. Like, you know, it's a good cast, good story, good filmmaker. I really like this director. I mean, I, yeah. I really like clouds of Sils Maria. I really like personal right. shopper. I haven't mm-hmm. seen a uh, nonfiction, but I heard that was good. And so, yeah, it's kind yeah. of fun to hear that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's because, well, we're, we're talking about like three different storylines. And unfortunately, I think from an editing perspective, they just don't come together particularly well. Like Gal Garcia Bernal does not really come into the story until about, I want to say like an hour or 70 minutes into it. 
It's a pretty key character and we don't really get to know much about him. And I don't know if there was like a bunch of stuff that they filmed that they that with him that just didn't really get into this. And then when it tries to balance the stories between Edgar Ramirez and Penelope Cruz and then Andy Armas and Wagner Mora, like it just there's no real lot of fluidity there. Like it just kind of bounces between them in a way that doesn't really f- gel. Like it just it just feels very stark when it goes back and forth between them to the point where it feels like both stories don't really get fleshed out in a way that I felt like really warrants the talent that these actors deserve, you know, as, as the great actors that they are. Um, and I just didn't really get like a lot of understanding of like who they are as characters. Like I said, it just didn't really, it just, I just, unfortunately just don't think it really comes together in a lot of key ways. And it's a shame. Cause like you see little moments, I think especially more in the second half where it does kind of focus on each individual storyline. There's a couple others that I didn't mention, like some side characters that get more screen time. And when it does focus on them, I think it does tend to work in little moments. I just think the broader spectrum of it just doesn't come together in a way that I don't know if it's just, there's too much story here that maybe if it was expanded into like a mini series or something that might've worked better. Or if like, there was just like a really great script that like in the editing process just kind of came jumbled or whatever. But unfortunately it's not a terrible film. It just, for me, it just felt weirdly kind of lifeless and, and oddly dull in a way that considering everything that's in the story here and everything that could be really engaging and thematically compelling. It, it just fell flat for me, unfortunately. And uh, I, I feel bad saying that. Cause you know, I mean, I like all the people involved, like obviously, and we've, we've sung their praises for other projects, but uh, with this one, I think it just is a misfire and it's a shame. Cause I mean, you know, I mean, given everyone involved, this could have been something, but like I said, just sometimes it doesn't work out at least for me. I mean, I wouldn't want to disparage you from seeing John. If you think it's something you'd be interested in. Yeah, I'm in. probably still going to see it. There are a lot of reasons I want to get into this. Um, I'm very curious about the subject matter, um, specifically like nineties Cuba and, and a lot of the, a lot of that stuff. Cause I think, uh, I think there there is like some interesting movie to be had on this topic, and I'm curious about how this one handles it for better or worse. But I gotta say, well, this is this is the weirdest summer. I mean, can, I, it's just so fascinating to me that these are the movies we're talking about in June. And I'm not saying that even even as a bad thing. It, it is just kind of fascinating that this is the kind of film that's coming out at the you know in the middle of summer or like right as summer is like really getting into the heat of things. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sad to hear that you didn't like this one. I was hoping it would be a little bit of a surprise. I mean, same here. Like, obviously, I mean, given uh, my enthusiasm for it and the people involved, I was I was coming into this hoping to, you know, talk about this movie, especially like you said, a summer like this where we can champion movies like this, that, like that tend to kind of fall under the radar and other summers. Um, this would have been a great time to celebrate this film, but it just didn't work for me, unfortunately. But I was that's why I was hoping you'd had a chance to see it, because I was hoping maybe you could uh you might have been more positive on it because there are a lot of people that that really did like this movie a lot. And uh, I was hoping to be the same. But for me, it just fell flat, unfortunately. All right. Well, that is Wasp Network. Um, you know, I, I, I do want to take this moment to say uh, happy Father's Day, Will Ashen. Um, well, you are not my father. Uh, but no. I like to think that Gael Garcia Bernal is mine. And okay. So I'm sorry that he wasn't enough of this movie. That is not a great Father's Day present for him. Sure. I mean, you do know that just because I have a mustache doesn't mean I'm a father. <laughs> well, but, um, I like uh, to think that you're a father to the listeners. Uh, we get emails, we get comments, thousands, millions actually a day oh, wow. saying, Will is my dad. And oh, my, so, I'm a daddy, I guess. <laughs> sorry, I made that really weird. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, know, you ruined it. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> I, I, that was my bad. <laughs> no, no. Okay, okay. One last film to talk about. Uh, you saw this one at a drive-in, and uh, this was not on my yeah. radar at all. Mainly Never because, yeah, mainly because it stars Bella Thorne, 
And I'm at, I'm at this point where also another vertical entertainment film. I'm at this point with Bella Thorne where I'm like, have at it. Like she is living, she is living her best life. It seems um, Hollywood wise. Uh, this is a new crime thriller written and directed by Joshua Caldwell, uh, who uh, I guess some people might know him from uh, the beautiful lie. Uh, he wrote, directed and produced that film. Um, I think he's more affiliated with things like, uh, like MTV and, uh, I don't know like a ton about this guy. I have to be totally honest with you, yeah, Ashton, I but I, I, I don't want to say anything, uh, you know, ridiculous, but, uh, anyway, so this movie is called infamous and it's kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde sort of setup from what I've heard. Um, yeah. and by heard, I mean like kind of looked into like very briefly when you said you would watch this with Becky as, as a drive-in double feature. I was like, what mm-hmm. is this movie? Um, but yeah, it stars Bella Thorne, Jake Manley, Amber Riley, Michael Soro, and Marissa Coughlin. Will Ashman, what is this movie? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, as you described it, I mean, there is, I, when I came into this film, I was expecting, like I said, I didn't really know much about it. So I was like, okay, this is going to be Bonnie and Clyde for the Instagrammers, for the Gen Z's, for the Zoomers. I'm like, okay, you know, I can dig that. You know, you know, every generation should have their own Bonnie and Clyde. Um, but as I came into the film, I was like, okay, Bonnie and Clyde's not exactly what they're going for here. This is kind of more like natural board killers by way of spring breakers, which I mean, uh, personally, natural born killers and spring breakers are not two films that I particularly like. But I, I with both of those films, I'm like, you know. I can see what they're going for. I, I can respect the, you know, the artistry. It's not my jam. It's not my groove, but I can see where Oliver Stone and Harmony Crin are trying to, you know, what they're trying to do, how they're trying to express this, their specific visions for the projects into these crime-based stories. And it's like, you know, I can respect that. Unfortunately, I can't offer the same respect for Infamous, which I feel is a fairly derivative film that uh, I would also argue is a little bit up its own keister uh, in that. Uh, so we follow a young woman from Florida who uh, her sole desire in life, John, as far as we can tell from the movie, is to be infamous on Instagram or at least to have some popularity, some notice because, you know, she lives in a dead town. Job isn't really going anywhere. Family life is a disaster. She just wants to be recognized, to be appreciated, John. And who doesn't want to be recognized and appreciated? Everybody wants to go viral, Will Ashton. Yeah, everyone wants to go viral. Except for you. You're the only one who who doesn't care. (laughs) Uh, Hasn't sold out. Uh, We'll see. I'm still young. (laughs) Who knows what the future will hold. But um, she meets... this sort of bad boy type, not really fully bad, but he, he served some time. He, he has a criminal past, but he's, you know, the criminal with the heart of gold. He, you know, he, or at least that's, I guess how we're supposed to see him. There's really not a lot of inner life to this guy. We just kind of, they're projecting a lot onto him. He's just like, you seem cool and dangerous. Maybe you're a good guy at heart, <laughs> but anyway, it doesn't take long uh, for these uh, two young lovers to spark a romance. Uh, and uh, I mean, his certainly- last name is literally manly, right? The, oh, actor. the actor, yeah. The actor, not the character. Yeah, I guess he's yeah. like a... I'm not too familiar with his work, uh, Jake Manley, but I guess he was on um, The Order, which is a Netflix show, and he did some other things like iZombie, uh, Dog's oh, yeah. Journey. Um, Heroes Reborn. Other... Yeah. Um, which A lot of stuff I haven't seen. Neither have I. I think I did see a Dog's Journey, but I don't remember him exactly in it. So like, I, I, I'm not as, as familiar, as well-versed in his uh, career as I am with Bella Thorne, who I'm also not super familiar with huh. either. In this movie, he's a bit of a dog, too. It seems. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
or is he a bit of a cat burglar? Because uh, shortly after they uh, they meet, they kind of spark this uh, crime spree where they go around burgling uh, different like gas stations and uh, local businesses. And the difference is that they videotape it on their phones and they put it on Instagram. There's a few things happen before this, but this is a general plot. And I feel like we're kind of going long. So I feel uh, well, I feel ripped off, Will Ashton, because you and I have done this how many times together? Um, how many times on Cinemaholics? Yeah, yeah, we've committed crimes uh, and filmed it. Oh, <laughs> uh, not as far as I know, but um, <laughs> uh, man, but anyway, I guess uh, you still think it's just legal to break into the Disney vault, huh? Yeah, that's true. Yes, that is true. Yeah, I, I wasn't quite sure if that's what we're going for, or if there was some other bit that you're trying to go for, but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, um, who said anything about a bit? That's true. What am I talking about? But anyway, uh, shortly thereafter, they become infamous instagram stars and they're on the run and their profile is rising somehow it doesn't lead to their arrest sooner than later but i digress uh you know as their profile rises and she gets what she wants exactly what bella thorne's character art ariel wants is uh left a bit unclear and uh you know maybe some tragedy unfolds along the way uh yeah i mean as far as this movie is concerned like i think the only real way I, I think it's worth looking at is as a piece for Bella Thorne, who I, I'm sort of familiar with. Like, I, I know she did the Disney Channel show. Um, was it Shake It Up? Was that what she did? I do not know. OK. <laughs> I know but that I, she made out with Samara Weaving once, but. Well, how about that? <laughs> yeah. The Babysitter. Didn't you see The Babysitter? Yeah. On Netflix. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say I was going to go through her filmography um that i've seen like i know she was in blended which i saw the duff um yeah the babysitter like you said amyville the awakening oh, um, i forgot she was in we both duff. both liked uh, assassination nation um yes. and a film we're not particularly crazy of alvin the chipmunks the road chip <laughs> uh, hey, i didn't for me. see it i don't yeah, know if i, I would have liked it yeah maybe i i'm speaking out of turn maybe maybe you're a big fan yeah. of that film particularly for john waters cameo in it but um <laughs> yeah i mean i i'm not I, i'm familiar enough with her work uh to like have enough i guess an opinion on her which is that i don't think she's a particularly good actress but i think as far as like a project for her i think this fits her talents or at least like i think it's an interesting project for like you know like given like we said about uh how she tends to propel her her, her uh, career shift or i guess her second career through like instagram and kind of propelling herself as like a social media star in addition to being a former Disney Channel star, it does make sense that she chose this project. I think she also produced it as well um, as a kind of way to differentiate yourself from the Disney image and kind of help to uh, start, like I said, the second chapter of her career. Unfortunately, I just don't think the script here is that interesting. Like I said, it's fairly derivative of its influences. And I think anything it is trying to say comes off as fairly pretentious and smug uh, as opposed to like profound and interesting. It's just kind of your typical trait kind of stuff about like, you know, what was it mean to be influential and what does it mean to uh, be present in this Instagram society and stuff like that? And I don't know. I mean, maybe I've just seen this stuff done better elsewhere. For me, it just didn't really seem that interesting or compelling. Uh, if you just want to look at it solely as like a crime film, as a piece of entertainment, I mean, I don't think it's Ingrid particularly well done. West. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that's exactly. That. Yeah, that's, yeah, I was going to say yeah, that's a film. Like if you want to do something like this, and, or Nerve. Uh, I would recommend yeah, Nerve, exactly, honestly. Yeah. 
that's what I mean. So like we have films like this already that that explore similar topics and I think are done a lot better, a lot more entertaining. And I think ultimately a lot more thought provoking as well, especially Yingri Goes West, which is a film that uh, I think as more time passed, the more I've grown to like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. This film, it, 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 it was at a drive in <laughs> and I saw it before Becky, which I actually kind of enjoyed. Um, so, I mean, it, it didn't really impact my life too much. Uh, it was nice to see something on the big screen again, but uh, at what cost, John, at what cost? Um, I give it a C minus. It's not really worth your time. I'm about to take back everything I said earlier about, you know, not letting my politics get in the way. I'm going to do it right now. And the politics of naming your movie infamous, that's my negative review because, because uh, the video game oh, okay. infamous. <laughs> okay. Well, I didn't think you would know about this one. Well, because you don't like video games as much, but there's a video game called infamous that I love from the sucker punch studio. And they make uh, they make these like superhero games and they're called infamous and they're really fun games. And now, thanks to this movie, they have to do some sort of weird marketing thing to make up because infamous has sucked up all the infamous oxygen out of the room. And so I'm upset about that. And uh, I give this I, I didn't see the film, but I give it enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I think my point of comparison was the 2006 film infamous, which was the the other Truman Capote movie of uh Oh, I that forgot year. about that, actually. Yeah, uh, <laughs> with Toby Jones instead of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, yeah, um, wow. Uh, and Sandra Bullock, I believe, was in that. And Daniel Craig, if I remember. I Wait, haven't no, seen Sandy... that one either, though. Was Daniel Craig in that one, or was he in the was he in Capote? I forget. Um, I Listeners haven't asked, seen the film, <laughs> so I do not know. I think you're right about Sandra Bullock, and uh, I think maybe Gwyneth Paltrow or somebody is in it. But yeah, I don't remember, because this would have been around the same time as Casino Royale, and I don't think I was as uh clued in on daniel craig's career at that time but anyway it just it's already kind of confusing when you have to talk about those two films not that they come up as as much in common conversation as the video game you're talking about but um yeah it it, it is already kind of confusing be like no i'm not talking about that one i'm talking about the other capote movie and now there's this movie that makes things even more complicated so that that's a great but i have personally i'm upset um very upset but you know what now I want to watch uh, Infamous, the 2006 version, because I have never it's seen actually, it. It's always been on my radar. It's pretty good, actually. You know, I, I'd recommend it. It's not as good as Capote, but it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I, I am curious about a film covering Truman uh, Capote's life. So, And uh, I like Toby Jones quite a bit, so I will. Uh, I got to add that to the watch list for oh, sure. I looked it up. It was He was an Infamous, not Capote. So I was right. was? Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, that makes it even more of an easy recommendation for me, so... <laughs> Yeah, he's good in that one. I love Daniel Craig. All right, well, that that's infamous. C minus from Will Ashen. Uh, yeah, very bit of a. This was a bit of a twisty, turny episode. I feel like you and I were stuck in one place for a long time with this episode, and I don't think the listeners knew it was coming next, even though they had the show notes to guide them. Um, but regardless, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, next week we have uh, quite a few things that we have available to review. I think the big one. I think you've already seen this is Irresistible. That's correct. Uh, the that new happens, Focus yeah. Features film and Plan B Entertainment worked on it. Uh, directed and written by John Stewart. Speaking of politics, uh, this oh, movie yeah. stars uh, Steve Carell, Chris Cooper, Mackenzie Davis, Topher Grace, Natasha Leone, Rose Byrne. It's like a cast that was made to buy my review, you know, where like. I'm just going to give it a positive review no matter I'm I'm joking of uh, course but 
I'm, but I do I'm love very all these curious. Um, I'm very curious to talk about that one because the politics of FM are actually pretty interesting. Not exactly, I think, as people are anticipating, but I can't say anymore because I'm embargoed. Well, I'm not talking about American politics. I'm talking about the politics of Jon Stewart spelling his first name the same way I do. Oh, and okay. that's something that I, I haven't had a chance to really address on the show before. So we'll finally get the chance next week. Okay, yeah, uh, it'll also, be a good conversation. <laughs> uh, My Spy comes out on Amazon stu- uh, oh, Prime finally. Video, I think, next week. I think, I think is the case. That's a new Peter Siegel yeah. movie with Dave Bautista and Chloe Coleman. Yeah, I mean, I saw this back in March. This was the last movie yeah. I saw in a traditional theater. I saw it for a screening. And then I haven't had a chance to talk about it. Uh, so I'll you didn't know the it. embargo for the longest time, right? I still don't. I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about it now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we'll find out, I suppose, pretty soon. Um, but yeah, that'll be hitting Prime Video next week. It's kind of like a family comedy kind of thing with, like, I guess, some action. You, you know I don't. Uh, yeah. Are you going to watch it again for the review? Or are you just going to draw from your March uh, memory? Oh, I think it's still pretty uh, deep in my brain. So <laughs> I think course. I can, I think one viewing was, uh, will suffice. I guess it's just, I bring it up because like sometimes you're like, it's been two weeks and I already forgot about this movie. And I, I don't know if that's the case with this one. Uh, no, I, I think my points uh, still stand and I still remember them. So I, I think, I think my one viewing will suffice. There is one more movie coming out next week. And I, I am really curious how this one's going to turn out. And that is the new Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams comedy. Uh, Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Um, I haven't seen any ads for this, but I have seen the poster quite a bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I have been curious. I haven't watched a trailer or anything. It was supposed to come out in May and uh, they delayed it because I think they had, there was, there was some production delays or something like that. Uh, but David Dobkin, Dobkin, is it Dobkin or Dobkin? I don't know. Uh, who is best That's known. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he did uh, Wedding Crashers directed that film um also shanghai nights and clay pigeons and uh pretty well-known director um i think uh his last film was his last film last the judge was it the judge yeah i think it was that was a long time ago i don't guess he had, really hasn't done anything since um, well he uh he works on the story he, he for did a lot some of uh didn't he like write jack the giant slayer or something weird like that um no so i he, he wasn't a screenwriter for that i remember now actually because he worked on jack the giant slayer and r.i.p.d the yeah. uh, ryan reynolds movie and uh, i think king arthur legend of the sword and he was kind of like a producer for those films and he helped okay. like form the story but i don't think he actually has screenwriting credit uh, as far as i know um, so he's still been working but yeah i think the the judge was the last thing that he directed and uh, i think he also produced that one but yeah, I mean, you've probably seen like most people know him from like Wedding Crashers and I guess like yeah. Fred, Collins. which also starred uh, Rachel McAdams. Also starred Rachel McAdams. Will Ferrell was in that movie as well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> his cast. Also, uh, Dan Stevens, Pierce Brosnan, Demi Lovato are in this movie. Uh, it's a very, sure. uh, yeah, very interesting, <laughs> very interesting cast. Uh, but we'll talk about this next week. I am really curious how, how it's going to play out. And, uh, you know, I I I think uh, I had it wrong actually because it's not that this got delayed due to production issues. Now I remember. Okay, so I totally forgot this. So it was actually supposed to come out yeah, alongside dear. the Eurovision Song Contest, like right. the actual one, but that mm-hmm. got delayed. Yeah. Um, and I don't I don't know. I'd have to look into this. I don't know if they if it's supposed to be if it got delayed and is happening now, and that's why they're releasing it now. I'm curious about that actually. So maybe we'll we'll have some answers for you next week, hopefully. But uh, this is this is a movie that uh, Will Ferrell helped write. 
I think he co-wrote mm-hmm. this. So yeah. Um, when was the last time Will Ferrell co-wrote a movie? Do you remember? Anchorman Two, I believe. Was that the last one? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So this this will be quite a, an episode to look forward to. We got some good ones, uh, good reviews, hopefully coming up. But that'll do it for us this week on Cinemaholics. Don't forget to check out our social pages on Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff's in the show notes, including our Patreon and our email, all that stuff you need to leave some feedback. And of course, as always, you can go to cinemaholics.com, find more episodes of this show going all back, all the way back to episode one. Uh, don't forget to check out our new extra milestone. We talked about seven chances, the new Buster Keaton film. I'm actually supposed to, I forgot about this and off topics, but Sam Nolan and I t- talked about Buster Keaton. It was our first silent film for Extra Milestone, and it was a ton of fun, Will. Uh, we got some good feedback for the episode, too. I think people really dug our conversation um, about that classic film, which just celebrated like 95 years <laughs> since it came out in 1925. So if you want a little bit of film history, you can check out our Extra Milestone that's on the feed right now. All right, we'll see you next week from the Internet, California. I am John Negroni. And Fiona, Pennsylvania. I'm Washington. See you next time.